The following is a sermon that was preached at Good News Lutheran Church in Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. It was preached on Easter Sunday, April 9th, 2023, on the basis of Matthew 28, verses 1 through 10. For more information or to view our entire sermon library, visit goodnewslc.org. Thank you for listening. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Okay, good. I was hoping that you were going to say that. You sort of confirmed my suspicion that this isn't the first time that you heard such a thing. This message that Jesus has risen from the dead and that this is really what Easter is all about. This isn't coming as news to you. This isn't just dawning on you. In fact, I'm guessing that this morning you did not wake up put on your best Easter outfit, head out the door, hop into the car, and then wonder to yourself, hmm, I wonder what that preacher is going to be talking about today. Which is why you perhaps would have been just as puzzled as I was when I saw the article that appeared in the New York Times this past week. In this article, the, the author was making the point that as cultural Christianity sort of fades away in America, and as our society continues to become more and more secular in nature, more and more people are going to be encountering the Easter story naively, as something that is brand new to them, as something they have never heard before. And when I saw that, I thought, no way. He's wrong about that. Everyone still knows that Easter is about the story of Jesus rising from the dead. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to prove him wrong. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to say Christ is risen. Everyone's going to say he is risen indeed back. And then I'm going to go home and compose a strongly worded letter to let the author of that article know just how wrong he was. But you know, then I started thinking about it a little bit more. And then it dawned on me that naively really is the way that we do hear the Easter story. In fact, naively is the way that we ought to hear the Easter story. Easter is something that is so radical, something so shocking and unexpected, something so life-changing and earth-shattering and history-altering that it should always leave us a little bit shocked and even dumbfounded. It should be sort of like that first glimpse of the sun that breaks through an otherwise dark horizon. And so I'm hoping today that we would actually hear this Easter story in that very way, a little bit naively. In fact, as we look at Matthew's account of the Easter story this morning, believe it or not, there is a word that occurs most often in Matthew's account that doesn't really even show up one single time in our translation. It's a word that he uses four times in just these ten verses, and it can roughly be translated, behold. In other words, look, something shocking, something surprising and unexpected is about to happen. And so I'm hoping this account can cause just that same shock and surprise. That whether you're hearing this story for the first time this morning or whether you've known it all your life, that as we look at Matthew's words today, we're going to see that what changed on Easter dawn will forever be dawning on us. And if that's how we ought to hear this story, then maybe this sort of fading of cultural Christianity is sort of doing us a bit of a favor. In fact, 
when you really stop and think about it, if you were to pay attention to how our world thinks and the way that our world operates, you could maybe even come to the conclusion that it's almost as if Easter had never happened. That this Sunday was just like any other Sunday. In fact, I want us to imagine that this morning. What would it be like if nothing had happened? And how would that have impacted the three different groups of people that we meet in this story? Let's start with the soldiers standing guard outside Jesus' tomb. Sure, they were just following their orders that day, but really they were the protectors of power. It was no secret that Jesus' crucifixion two days prior had been a grave injustice. The Jewish leaders knew that he didn't deserve it. The Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, knew that he didn't deserve it. And yet, both of those groups were more interested in protecting their own power than in doing what was right. And so now these soldiers were doing that very same thing by extension. They were protecting power. No matter how unjust Jesus' death had been, there was nothing anybody could do about it. And so if nothing had happened, if they had just gone home that day after a boring and uneventful shift at the tomb, then really there would be no hope against those in our world who are interested just in protecting their power. In fact, who are maybe even more interested in power than in justice. Oh, but maybe, maybe if we really work hard, we can actually shift the balance of power. Maybe we can change the power dynamics in our world. In a democratic society like ours, we can do that in all kinds of peaceful ways. We can do that through our voice and through our vote. Perhaps in desperate times, people might become convinced that they should do that in less than peaceful ways. But really, the point is the same. If you want to guarantee that justice is done, you need to be in power. And we might be tempted to think that that's just fine. That maybe we're okay living in a world like that. But in a world that thinks and operates that way, Easter is like that first glimpse of the sun peeking up over an otherwise dark horizon. On Easter Sunday, everything changed in an instant for those protectors of power. In fact, the dynamics of power were flipped completely upside down. Matthew tells us that there was an earthquake. And that literal earthquake was like a figurative earthquake for those soldiers. Those big, strong, well-trained men with weapons suddenly became like trembling babies on the ground. Those men who were sent there to guard a dead body, as if a dead body needs guarding, instantly became like corpses themselves. And that's what Easter still changes for us today. Easter means that Jesus has severed the relationship between justice and power. It means that God is able to and in fact does accomplish his just and saving purposes in our world, not only without the help of earthly power, but often in its complete absence. Easter gives us the hope that good is going to triumph over evil, 
and that everything is going to work out in the end for God's people. And that is a hope that is not dependent on who happens to be in office or who's holding all the guns. In a world where so many are interested in nothing more than protecting their power, what changed on Easter dawn will forever be dawning on us. So that's the soldiers. Next, let's talk about the women. The women who went out as the sun was just coming up. They were the casualties of grief. Over the last three years, these women had formed quite a bond with Jesus, but on Friday afternoon, they found out that no bond is strong enough to hold back death. And so they were hoping to go out to that empty tomb give Jesus a proper burial, and maybe that would help them feel just a little bit better. And so if nothing had happened, if nothing had changed, if they had just gone out to that empty tomb, paid their last respects, and then went back into Jerusalem, then there would be no consolation for the casualties of grief. When someone we love dies, that would be it. Life would never be the same. Oh, but maybe like these women, we can sort of pay them some sort of tribute and that'll help us feel a little bit better. Maybe we can hold on to them in our hearts with the memories that we hold and the stories that we tell. Maybe we can make our, ourselves feel a little bit better by, by telling us that surely there's something on the other side of death. Maybe they're in a better place. Maybe they're up there in the clouds as angels playing harps, and someday we'll join them in the orchestra. Maybe eventually time will help heal our wounds. And maybe that sounds just fine. Maybe we're okay living in a world like that. But in a world that thinks and operates that way, Easter is like that first beam of light piercing a dark horizon. In an instant, everything changed for these casualties of grief. Not only did they go out to the tomb to discover that it was empty, not only did an angel appear to them and tell them that Jesus had risen, but on their way back, they met Jesus himself. Not a memory of Jesus, not a ghost of Jesus, a real live flesh and blood resurrected Jesus. And how do we know? Because they grabbed onto him. Quick confession. I've been very lovingly told on more than one occasion in my life that I'm not much of a hugger. And so when someone comes along and tries to give me a hug, which of course is a very nice thing to do, I sort of turn into a cold dead fish. Evidently, these women were huggers. They grabbed onto Jesus forcefully and aggressively, and they could do that because he had risen from the dead. And that's what Easter still changes for you and me. Can you do me a quick favor? Don't do this with the person sitting next to you because they might not be a hugger either. But lean forward and put both hands on the back of the seat that is in front of you. Please. 
put both hands on the back of the seat in front of you and now think of that person you love that you miss most. That person whose absence still puts tears in your eyes. And squeeze. Squeeze as hard as you would if they were with you again. That's the consolation that Easter brings to the casualties of grief. This is what you will be able to do because Jesus has risen from the dead. What changed on that first Easter dawn will always be dawning on us. One more group of people to consider. We've got to consider those disciples. They were the unforgivable offenders. This was Jesus' hand-picked group of closest followers. They were supposed to carry on his mission after he was gone. And yes, they had always been sort of this band of bumbling, stumbling dimwits. But if nothing else, they had always been loyal to their leader and to their cause until it mattered most. And then they abandoned him. They allowed him to be arrested and crucified and couldn't even stand by his side when he needed them most. And so if nothing had changed, if they had just stayed behind closed doors that first Easter morning, still more afraid of what might happen to them than concerned about what happened to Jesus, then there would be no restoration for unforgivable offenders. In fact, we see it all the time in our world, right? One comment, one tweet, no matter how popular and well-loved someone is, you can fall from grace in an instant. Oh, but, but maybe somebody can beg and plead and grovel for forgiveness. Maybe somebody can pledge that they're going to do better. Maybe someone can make some sort of sacrifice to atone for their sins. Maybe they can just sort of lay low for a while. Wait for someone else to screw up so that everyone will forget about what they did. And maybe that's just fine. Maybe we're okay living in a world like that. But in a world that thinks and operates like that, Easter is that first ray of light against an otherwise dark horizon. In an instant, everything changed for those unforgivable offenders. When Jesus was talking to the women when he met them on the road, he referred to his disciples as his brothers. And believe it or not, this was the very first time Jesus called them that. So because of Easter, these unforgivable offenders had a brand new status with Jesus, a status that was even better than the one that they had ruined. Yes, because Jesus loved them unconditionally, but also because two days prior, when they were nowhere to be found, he was busy forgiving the unforgivable. And so now they had a new status, even better than the one that they had lost. And friends, that's what Easter still changes for you and me. Even though all of us deserve a fall from grace with God that would be far greater than any shame or scorn we could face from society, in his grace, God has lifted us up to an even higher spot 
than the one that we had occupied before. You and I have a relationship with God that is not this delicate, fragile thing, almost as if it's an Easter egg. One little dent, one little ding, and it's completely ruined. One sin, and out we go. No, we have a relationship with God that is indestructible. One that Jesus won for himself, won for us with his death on the cross, proven by the fact that he rose from the dead. And so in a world where almost anything can cause someone to become an unforgivable offender, what changed on Easter will forever be dawning on us. And so maybe naively is the way it has to be. In fact, maybe naively is the way to go. That's actually the point that the author was making. He was saying that the best way to hear the Easter story is as someone who is completely naive. Now, normally we don't like to think of ourselves as being naive people, right? We like to be smart and sophisticated and well-educated. And when someone says something to us, we like to investigate it and demonstrate a healthy amount of skepticism and ask questions and look for evidence before reaching our conclusions. And maybe it's easy to think that we ought to do that first thing with Easter. But first and foremost, Easter is not that kind of story. It's not that kind of message. In fact, we might think of it this way. Let's say right in the middle of our service, one of our ushers came in and said, attention everyone, there's a fire in the building. It's spreading very quickly. There's not much time, but if you want to make it out alive, you need to follow me. How would you respond? Well, I don't know. Do we really know that there's a fire in the building? I mean, I can't really see it. I can't really sell, smell the smoke. Maybe we should send someone to investigate and then come back. Well, I'll just sit tight. And I don't know, maybe the, the exit that he's taking us out isn't really the best exit. Maybe someone should walk all the way around the building and they should probably review the fire safety documentation and they can come back in and report their findings to us. No, you would act first and then ask questions later. And yes, Easter is the kind of claim that very much needs to be investigated. In fact, the Bible actually invites the followers of Jesus to ask all of their questions and make that investigation. And if you haven't done that as of yet in your life, by all means do so. You deserve to know whether this claim that Jesus rose from the dead is really reliable or not. But you only need to do that once. And even after that process of investigation is done, it doesn't mean you're done with Easter. Instead, what changed on Easter dawn will forever be dawning on us. The good news of Jesus' resurrection will always confront us naive, shocked, surprised, dumbfounded, as over and over and over again it dawns on us. Not only that God could do such a thing, but that God would do such a thing and has done such a thing for you. Amen. Amen. 